Hello, everyone. Oh, good morning, church. <laughs> yes, I saw someone do that ages ago, and I've always wanted to try that. It works. I like it. I'm going to try it at night time and see. Good night. Oh, what did I say? Good afternoon. No, good evening, church. I'd, I, they probably wouldn't respond to me. They'd probably just go, hmm, yeah, hello. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, hi. Um, my name is India. Um, I'm married to Josh Lack, the children's and youth pastor at the church here. Um, I get put on to speak sometimes to you in the morning. I think it's been about a year since I've spoken to you last. Um, so just for fun, I um, went through my phone last night to be like, what can I tell you? What have I been doing in the last year? So I found some selfies to show you just for fun because selfies are what the young people do when they take photos of themselves. And so I, I have a lot of them on my phone. I noticed that must mean I'm still young, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, as you can see, I've been I'm working out lots. I'm on long service leave at the moment, so lots of fun stuffs happening up here. Working out um, a lot, as you can tell, I've stopped to take time to take photos of myself in the mirror. So I've been working hard in the gym. Um, this is my husband and I down the bottom here. We're actually my husband's been in hospital. You probably know for the last x amount of months but he's out now but this is us at the hospital listening really intently to an education session about living with a spinal cord injury or something but we were listening so hard we've taken time to take a selfie on our phone so I've spent lots of time in hospital lately um I've been getting lots of fun drinks up there lots of coffees and yep I think that's about a one liter frozen coke up there so as you can see I've been having lots of fun going to the beach over here to another big part of my life I'm just telling you this just for fun just so you know who I am um our house has been um, had lots of work done to it lately. Our bathrooms, we've had new floors, we've had paintings. So part of my life in the last few months has been like continually cleaning and like mopping up dust from tradies and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So that's what I've been doing um, the last couple of months. People often come and ask, "How are you going?" Um, how you've been going and they have this look of pity on their face for me like concern because of what we've been going through but I'm like oh yeah great so <laughs> this is what I've been doing so anyway life is not all horror but um, yeah my husband Josh is here today and we just want to say also thank you for praying for us or oh, Dave is excited um, yeah Josh hasn't been to morning service for a long time so this is his first service back for a long time Um, and we do want to say thank you um, for praying for us and continuing to pray for us. That's That's been the most helpful thing. I don't know if I've experienced more, um, a supernatural sense of peace more in my life before. So I can only attribute that to all of your prayers. I just feel a supernatural sense of peace and trust in the Lord. So thank you. Keep on praying for us. If you see us around, try not to make too big of a deal because we don't love big emotion. Just come and chat to us about normal things. Because we get questioned all the time, how are you going? It must be hard. And yes, like, yes, it is hard. And every time someone asks us, it must be hard. It reminds us that it's hard. So just come and talk to us about normal things. Um, if you know about cricket, talk to Josh about cricket. He, like, knows every, everything. He watches every single game. So um, he would really appreciate that conversation. So just come and be normal. We would love that. <laughs> we don't love a big deal. Excellent. I should probably do a talk about God now, hey. <laughs> to a sermon. Anyway, <laughs> so we are starting um, a series on prayer. So as I said, thank you for praying for us. Um, all right. Woo. Did, did I click that or did you click that? Do I need to do anything to make this work? Can I? Yeah, I just did that. It works. Okay. Thank you. We are starting a series on prayer. Um, we'll go for a couple of weeks. So this is the first in the series and prayer for me um, 
I believe, this is my belief, I believe that we were made to pray and we were made to talk to God. God didn't make us to do stuff or be our servants. He has angels for that. Um, he doesn't need us. So my personal belief is that he has made us to talk to him um, and to be in relationship with him. So I think that this series is, is really important and really central to our Christian faith um, and, who, and to who God has made us to be. Um, Prayer has been a funny one in our lives over the last few months. Obviously, so many people, I would even say thousands of people have been praying for us. We've had an, so many people all over the world, people in Africa, people in England, I don't know how, people all over Australia who have contact with Josh um, and what he's been going through. We've had thousands of people praying for us. And in one sense, as I said, it's been awesome to experience just a supernatural sense of peace. But I'm going to be really honest. On the other hand, Knowing there's thousands of people praying for Josh, praying for healing, praying for this, praying for that, and not seeing anything really, or, you know, there may be things that have been answered, you know, but really, really honestly, I've actually struggled with the concept of prayer in the last little bit. I'm speaking of prayer. But um, does God even answer prayer? Has he even heard these thousands of people? He says, when two or more people gather in my name, there I am. But we're like, when, <laughs> for me, like Josh um, has a lot of nerve pain. He experiences a lot of neuropathic pain. Sometimes in the middle of the night, he can't sleep because it keeps him awake. And in my head, I'm like, God, can you just take this pain away? And he's just like, oh, oh. It's, it's, it can be stressful. And in my head, I'm like, is God even there? Like, are prayers even doing anything? So I'm going to be really honest with you. I've been wrestling with these thoughts about prayer for the last little bit. But this message has been something that um, has been important to me in the last little while. I've, while I might be wrestling with, does God answer? I, well, I think he does. Currently, my situation, if I just look to my situation and if, if I just look to the things God's not doing, um, I'm not really truly looking at who God is. So today, I want to talk about who God is, knowing who he says he is, and holding fast to that, because that has been the only thing that I have been able to hold fast to in this time. If I was to, to stay in my feelings and my circumstances, my, that says, no, God doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't care about me. He's forgotten me. He doesn't, he doesn't answer prayer. If I look to my circumstances and my feelings, that's what that says. But I can't look to that. I need to look to who God says he is. And this has been really, really important to me over the last few months. I found myself coming home from the hospital at one stage, driving home late one night, and I just felt in my spirit, I just really wanted to cry out and declare who God is. And that started me on this journey, actually, of searching the scriptures um, to see who God says he is, because that I can hold on to. Even though my feelings and my circumstances don't match up, God is God. And I really just want to highlight and go through that today with you as a basis of prayer. Um, our view of God shapes our prayers. If we think of God as like this calculating cosmic accountant who ensures that good and bad in our life is ultimately balanced, then we're gonna, our prayers will be shaped by our belief. If we believe that God is like a vengeful carrier of grudges, then we're not going to be asking him for blessing. You know, we're going to just be, not, you're angry in the sky and that's going to stop us from crying out to him in prayer. So today I, I just want to go through that passage that Julia read out. Thanks, Julia. It was very long. I just got her to read all that for context. But we're only going to go through two verses. Um, oh no, it's gone again. 
my secret power. Where do I aim it? Maybe I'm aiming it wrong. <laughs> Up the back. Okay. <laughs> I'm aiming it in the wrong spot. Okay. There we go. <laughs> um, Moses cried out. This is the passage that um, Julia read out. Moses cried out um, in Exodus 33. He said, now show me your glory, God. Show me who you are. Show me the weight of who you are. And that is what I've found my heart crying out for. So we're going to go, all we're going to do today, I'll try and be short because I know you've got the AGM coming up. You'll all probably be there. I'll see you there. Um, and that'll be lots of talking. So I'll try and be short. Does that even, oh, I'm really failing with technology today. Okay, so this is all we're going to go through today. We're just going to unpack who God says he is as a means to hold on to him in prayer. So the passage is the Lord. This is God passes before Moses. Moses asks God to show him his glory. And God does. Imagine I, well, the imagery of this. Imagine this, the God himself passing before Moses, a human being, and he declares his name. He declares who he is. Fun fact, this is the most quoted, well, I heard, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. So you might have heard some of these before. So many Psalms quote this verse, who he is. There's so many, all of the Jews knew this and they knew who God was. It, the verse is, the Lord, the Lord, this is God speaking. I'm the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So we'll just quickly go through who he is, who he says he is. The first part, he says, he declares himself the Lord. He says, I'm here. I'm the Lord, the Lord. This part will probably take the longest to go through. Whenever we see the word the Lord in our English Bible, it actually means, it's actually God's name. He, um, they stopped calling him. It, it comes from earlier in Exodus um, when God says to, I'll come back to that actually, when God uh, sorry, Moses asked God, he says this earlier on in Exodus, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So back in that time, our culture is not very spiritual. We don't really care about gods. But back in the, this time, every culture had a God. And it's like, this is my God's name. And this is what he does. The gods were such a big part of culture. And Moses is like, what do I tell the people that your name is God? Like, what is your name? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. The I am has sent you. Essentially, God's name, he calls himself the I am. Or some translations say, I will be who I will be. Our God is the I am. He is. He is existence. Um, it gets translated, this gets translated to Yahweh, basically. So Yahweh basically means, when you hear the word Yahweh, if you hear it before, Yahweh basically means I am. Um, they stopped saying, using the word Yahweh a few hundred years later because they were scared of blaspheming the name and they didn't want to blaspheme God's name. So they actually stopped using the word Yahweh and they started translating it as Jehovah or sometimes Adonai. So if you see those words, they mean the same thing. And in our English Bibles, they translate to the Lord. So whenever you see in our English Bible where it says the Lord, this is actually our God's name. His name is Yahweh. He is the I am. 
This is the first thing he says as he passes before Moses. I am who I am. Now, this actually has really big connotations. This has big implications when it comes to prayer. Our God, the I am. It means he has no beginning or he has no end. A lot of kids always ask, who made God? But part of who he is, is he just is. He did not have a beginning and he does not have an end. This is our God who we pray to. Imagine having this in mind when you are praying. If you know this about him, how does this change your prayers? He didn't come into being and he cannot go out of being because God is being. Um, He is absolute reality. There is no reality that existed before him. There's no reality outside of him. He is all that was eternally. So when there was no space, no universe, no emptiness, he was there. He is absolute reality. This is the God that we pray to. This is his name. He is utterly independent. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't depend on anything. He depends on nothing to bring him into being. He does not need support or counsel to make him who he is. He is the only self-sufficient, self-existing being. Our God, the great I am. So secondary to that, because he is totally independent, everything, us, the world, is totally dependent on him. The entire universe is secondary to God. He's the one who made it, who created it. It came into being by him and stays in being moment by moment on his decision to keep it in being. All that we are, all all that we're amazed at in the world, the galaxies, the stars, that is nothing compared to God. He's the one who made it. He's the one who called it into being. This is our God that we pray to. Um, He's constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved on. He is not becoming anything. He is who he is. He is the I am. Um, He is the absolute standard of truth and beauty. He doesn't look to a rule book to know what's right and wrong. He created right and wrong. He is right and wrong. The God we pray to is the one who made it. Um, He is the one who um, determined what is excellent, what is right, what is true, what is good. He doesn't need to look up a book to know these things. He is the one who made it. And the last one, he is the most important and most valuable reality in the universe. He's, worth, um, he's worthy of interest, attention, admiration, and enjoyment more than any other reality that we know. Now, if we had this in our head, if we knew this about God constantly, I don't think this constantly, but if I'm reminded of this, imagine how this shapes our prayers. If I'm looking to my circumstances and not to this, I'm like, nothing's happening. But if I am... And looking, Yahweh, this is you. You are the great I am. You are the one who created Josh. You are the one who knows what's going on. You are the Lord. Um, And I'm going to continue to ask you for healing. And I'm going to continue to ask you because you are the one who can do it. So knowing who he is, knowing this can shape our prayer and shape our circumstances. Um, When we don't know this, it's interesting. um, Kids at youth, me and Josh do youth group. When they don't know God or kids who come from non-Christian homes and they pray, they often start off with, God, I hope this happens. I hope, I hope. Because they don't know Yahweh. They don't know the great I am. And they don't know that they don't need to say, I hope. They can say, I pray or I ask because they don't know that they're talking to the Lord or the one that made them. That's really interesting. So God's name is Yahweh. His name is the great I am. That is the first thing he declares before Moses. The second thing, he is, I am the compassionate and gracious God. 
Um, this is probably one that I find really hard to believe if I'm looking at my circumstances. How can you be compassionate, kind and good when this is happening in my life, God? So when I'm not looking and saying, God, you say you are compassionate and gracious, when I'm not holding on to that, then I don't pray and ask like he is. Now, the very fact that this chapter, Exodus 34, exists in the Bible is proof that God is compassionate and gracious. So in the previous few chapters, Moses had already been up on the mountain a first time. So the Israelites saw there was like a cloud of glory. So they saw, they knew Moses was up there, and they saw the cloud of glory of God up on the mountain. But while he was up there, they were down the bottom of the mountain and they started to forget. They were like, who, what, Moses? He was, he's not come back for us. We don't know who he is. He's forgotten about us. So this is when they made a golden calf. They're like, oh, whatever, Moses, he's gone. He doesn't care about us anymore. So we, we don't care, whatever, who's God, who's Yahweh. They compiled all of their jewelry, gold, and they actually made themselves a golden calf during this time. So Moses comes down the mountain. He'd just been with God, with Yahweh. He comes down and finds the people, forgetting God, seeking human glory or seeking self-glory in their calf that they have made. Um, He comes down and sees this, which really angers him. So the very fact that Moses then allows, sorry, God allows Moses back up the mountain a second time to see his glory to intercede on behalf of these Israelites who have just forgotten about God and they're like, whatever, we don't care about you, God, we want our golden calf. The very fact that God didn't just destroy them and say, well, you don't care about me, Um, you're going to worship this calf, you've forgotten about me after a few weeks, the very fact then that God allows Moses back up to the mountain to intercede on behalf of these Israelites is is not that proof that he is compassionate and gracious. They continually turn away. The whole Old Testament, if you know the story, the whole Bible, continually the people call out and ask God for things. God, do this. They get it because he is compassionate and gracious. They forget and they again forget God and exchange his glory for the image of their own glory. And when we are not remembering that God is compassionate and gracious, it's so easy to grow bitter. Like I'm so, it's so easy for me to be like, no, God doesn't answer prayer, don't care. Just like the Israelites, like, no, who's Moses, don't care. I'm going to make my own glory. It's so easy just to go get into that place of bitterness when we are not remembering and holding on to that he's gracious and compassionate. When things don't happen as we think they should or our situation isn't what we want, we question if God is kind and compassionate. We need to remember that it is, that he is, he is compassionate and gracious. This is who he is. The next one is related. God says he is slow to anger. Oh man, how easy are we as humans to anger? (laughs) I don't know about you, but patience is not much of a virtue of humanity (laughs) at all. But God, our God is slow to anger. It takes a lot for him to get angry with you. The whole Bible, as I said, this one's related, is proof of this. Adam and Eve, they were walking, they were talking with God. They were fully complete in God and who God made them to be. But that wasn't enough for them. They're like, oh, nah, we don't care. We want to become our own gods. So they did. They did that. But God could have killed them right there. No, I don't want to make humans. Don't care about you. But he's slow to anger. He's like, okay, I'll put you out of the garden. I have, I'm compassionate and gracious. I'll have compassion upon you. Everywhere we see this, um, at the Red Sea, they saw God parting the Red Sea, the Israelites. Yet as they walked through, grumble, grumble, grumble. God, you don't do this. You don't do that. Where are you? You're not doing this. Even though they saw continually throughout the whole Bible, 
seeing who God is, getting prayers answered, falling away, forgetting God. But God is slow to anger. He did not forget his people. He did not forget us. In fact, he sent his son Jesus to save us from our inability to be able to do anything ourselves. God is slow to anger. We are quick to anger. God is not. We're quick to jump and judge other people. How quick are we to get angry and judge other people and say, they don't deserve this, I'm not going to forgive them. In our humanity, that is what we do. But God does not do that with us. He is slow to anger. Praise the Lord for that. When we forget that God is slow to anger, and we don't remember this, that affects our prayers. Um, I actually, um, sometimes when my heart is in that place of um, anger and bitterness towards God, sometimes I'm like, no, I don't care anymore, God. I'm not going to pray. Um, and then that, that makes me feel guilty. I'm like, oh, no, God's not going to hear me. Um, but he's slow to anger with me. He knows what's going on and he knows my feelings and that's okay, but he does not get angry with me. And for me to remember that, that keeps me coming back to him because he's kind and compassionate. He's not going to push me away just because I quickly look at my circumstances and say, you've forgotten me, God. All right, oh, we're not going to do that bit. Okay, they're all kind of interrelated. We're nearly there. He is abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. The word abounding, the resource of his love is not limited. Abounding means plentiful. God is love. We need to remember that when we come to him in prayer. He is love. He is faithful. Everything he has promised, he is faithful to do to us. He is faithful to bring us home to salvation if we stick with him one day we will be with him in glory. Sometimes it's, it's easy for me to put on God, but you said I should have this, or God, I don't have this in my life. Why is that? So I, sometimes I think that he's promised things or I put on him things that I should have. Like in the West, we think we should have an amazing life all the time. We should have a house. We should have two and a half or whatever it is, kids. Um, we should have prosperity. We should, you know, retire at a certain age. But when we don't get that, Um, we think, but God, you're faithful. You said you're faithful. God never promised anywhere that we would have that. We need to remember to hold on to things that he has promised. We need to search the scriptures. You need to be in the scriptures knowing the things that he has promised you. That is what he is faithful to do, not give us Western prosperity. I might just move to the second last one. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He forgave the murderer on the cross. That's wicked, is it not? Someone who you murdered was disgusting and gross. The guy on the cross, he forgave them. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The woman caught in adultery. How slow to anger and kind was he before her? So sometimes we can get caught up in, in our sin, think we cannot go to him. No, my sin's too bad. I'm feeling guilty. I'm going to walk away. I don't remember that. He forgives wickedness. He forgives rebellion. He forgives sin if only we come to him. If we don't believe he is forgiving, we're going to view him as angry, aren't we? If we don't hold on that he is the one, he forgives us, he's kind, he's gracious. We're going to hold that view of anger. That is not who he is. It can also lead us to be feeling ashamed. And we're not going to want to come to him and pray if we're feeling ashamed. Okay, I'm just going to go to the last one. This one might seem confusing. This is what God says. I do not leave the guilty unpunished. 
He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You might be like, what? But India, you've just said he's kind, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and now you're saying that he doesn't leave guilty unpunished. He punishes the, the children for the sins of the father. Like, that's not fair. How is that possible? What is going on here? This is what God is saying he is. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with the, the end bit. You might see it in somebody you know. So you might see a really angry father or a really bitter father. Those patterns of behavior, those sins, imagine children growing up in those households. They learn patterns of behavior. So it's not that God is punishing the children like you're going to be punished for these sins. It's almost a natural consequence. Sin has got natural consequences. If you are an angry person, an angry father, the children that you produce, will probably they, they could be fearful. So the consequence of that sin, they could be extra fearful. Another consequence, they could learn that pattern of behavior and continue that as a natural consequence. So God doesn't sit down and punish the children. It's just a natural progression. Sin has natural consequences, doesn't it? If you do the wrong thing, if you lie to somebody, if you do whatever, there are natural, like in this world, there are consequences. And God is aware of that. He doesn't just go, cool, awesome, you did that, there's no consequences. That's what he means when he, when he says that, that he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes it takes three to four generations for those patterns of behavior to kind of equal out, to kind of dissipate. You know, the really you hear of the stories of the grandma, great-grandma, great-great-grandma who was a really hard woman who made their children do this, who was really oppressive. Maybe it takes a few generations for those patterns of behavior to iron themselves out. That's what God means when he's talking about he punishes the children. There are natural consequences for our sin. And if you have parents, if you can identify things in you that have been passed down from your parents, it's not the end. You can press into God and you can say, hey, I don't want this. Can you take this? I want a new start. I want to be changed. You can press into God and you can change those if you can identify those things. That's what he means when he says that. But what about that first bit? Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Doesn't the world or doesn't the enemy like to tell us that we are guilty? Even ourselves. You are not good enough for God. You are not good enough. Doesn't the world and the enemy love to tell us that? But do you know what? None of us are good enough. We all are guilty. We all are guilty before God. There is nothing we can do to earn this love. There is nothing we can do to be saved. There is nothing we can do to go and be with him in heaven. But he is holy. He is holy. We cannot get there on our own efforts. And you know what? All of us are guilty. But God knew that and he made a solution. He sent his son to take the punishment, to take our guilt, to take everything we have done that is not good enough to get into heaven. And once we place our trust in him, that is all you need to do. You are no longer guilty. So if you are here and you believe in Jesus, the finished work on the cross, you are no longer guilty. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. If you are here today and you believe in the finished work of Jesus, that is not you. The cross ultimately tells us who God is, doesn't it? And who we are. The cross ultimately tells us that God is all of these things. He is the Lord. He is the Yahweh. He is the great I am. He is the compassionate and gracious God. He did not leave us in our sins. He is slow to anger. Even though we were sinning, even though the people were killing him and putting him on the cross, he still said, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they do. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love and faithfulness. When nothing else goes right in your life, if you think you have got nothing, God is not answering any of your prayers. He has bought your life with salvation. He loves you and he is abounding in love for you. You can hold on to that if there is nothing else in your life, that one day you will be with him in heaven. He maintains love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, sin, and rebellion. This is our God, and we need to remember this when we come. If you're struggling to pray and if you're struggling to trust in God, ask yourself if there is a reason. Bring your situation before him, before the Yahweh. So we will pray, um, and then we will finish. <laughs> um, so the band will come on back up. But um, let's pray to this, to this God now, to Yahweh. Um, dear, dear God, dear Father, the Lord's Prayer tells us that it starts with our Father in heaven. That is how we are to start when we come to you to pray. Remember who you are. So God, I just ask this morning that you would show us your glory. Show us who you are. Right now, speak to our hearts and remind us again those things that we need to be reminded of. Life is hard. The world is full of brokenness. God, I ask that we would not hold on to our situations as truth. I ask we would not hold on to our feelings as truth. But I ask today that you would help us all step forward and move forward and consciously every day remind ourselves of who you say you are and hold on to that. Show us your glory. May these not just be words or descriptions, but I ask this morning, God, that you, Yahweh, the Lord, would reveal your glory to those hearts who are open and willing to seek. Would you show yourself to those people this morning. Thank you, God. Amen.